I really am glad to be with you here. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. You'll turn to Judges chapter 16. Judges 16, where we are going to finish up talking about Samson. Judges 16. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, no, there's not usually a mom up on stage teaching. Dave and his wife were gone this week along with our other manly men pastors climbing the rocks of Colorado. And from what I can see, he did not pull anything, which is fantastic news. Uh, My name is Kim Ronslavin. I'm a nobody. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm Aisley's mom. She's back there. I'm Brennan's mom. She loves it when I say Brennan, Brennan, Brennan from the stage. So I try and do that. We also have another daughter, Cassie, who's 23. And then we are trying to bring home a little girl from Ukraine. So the pray for Ukraine thing is so important to me. Her name is Lyra. She's eight. And with a war in Russia, things kind of tend to slow down the adoption process. So it's our hope that by the fall... Maybe you'll be able to meet Lyra. Um, My husband Wayne is here. He is a math teacher and a football track and basketball coach at Temple High School. He's been coaching for 24 years and still would not do anything different with his life than that. Coaches are actually optimistic. Like he actually begins every season and thinks this could be the year they go all the way. Still. (laughs) And you have to be because your job is riding on the back of 17-year-old boys who can't remember their homework and mess around like this with cell phones when you need them to pay attention and actually memorize place. Hi, Weston. It's great to see you, too. Yeah, these are the guys whose my husband's job is riding on, so you can understand why I pray a lot. Um, It helps when you have amazing talent, and the truth is, as we've been at Temple High School, there has been some amazing talent. Like, you hear the name Lake Seastrunk at Baylor, who is now waiting for draft day, and we knew him when he was that little boy who kept lighting up the junior high scoreboard. And Tevin Reese, a receiver who's also waiting for draft day, was the skinniest kid we had ever seen. Like, no uniform would fit him. He was so tiny. And now he's waiting to see which NFL team will snatch up those magic hands of his, and he'll get to play in the pros next year. I mean, it's crazy. But the truth is, the kid that I remember the most, that had the most amazing talent, wasn't at Temple High School. He was actually at Belton. He started at Temple when he was in elementary and middle school, but by the time he was in high school, he was at Belton High, and he picked a really good time to be there because we were horrible his entire high school career. And he took such advantage of us and any other team that he was on. This kid had some of the best speed, but he could make everybody miss. Like he would hit a hole, and it's like he knew what that defender was thinking. He didn't read defenses. He could just, he just one hip move, and he's cleared, and he's down the field. That kid was so explosive, too. From start to go was the fastest I'd ever seen. In fact, he was so explosive that his senior year at State, he won the long jump, and we were there. We loved to go to the State Tripe Meet. And we were there as everybody's clapping. You know how they do that slow clap and build up? And we're right there in the stands because this kid, you knew, every time he was out there, it was going to be like he could do something magical. And he did. Took off around that runway, planted on that board, sailed into first place with that jump. And we're first on our feet just clapping. And right behind us are the UT coaches who knew a good thing when they saw it and snapped him up fast. We had a really good time for the University of Texas. Vince Young had just had his breakout season. He joins him as a freshman. He plays a little, but his sophomore season was the best season. He ends up the season with 15 touchdowns for UT, including one 30-yard run in the Rose Bowl for the national championship game that set up Vince Young's little runaround into the end zone. It was a really fantastic time for this kid's life. So this kid from Belton High School is coming back home sporting a national championship ring, which he was wearing when he was busted for carrying five pounds of marijuana. Which means that September, when everybody else is grinding it out on the field, this kid is awaiting his prison sentence. And the truth is, it didn't surprise us at all. Because I told you he was an unbelievable athlete, but I... And that he started at Temple High School, I mean at Temple Middle School, but I didn't tell you that he actually attended all three middle schools. Because he'd get kicked out of one and they'd bump him to another. He got kicked out of that one, they bumped him to another. And then he got kicked out of that one and he ended up at Belton. And there wasn't anybody on the Temple side who was sorry to see him go. 
He was a nightmare to coach. He was a lot of fun one-on-one, but when you tried to tell him what to do, he was just so arrogant. He thought he knew it. And when you would hear him talk, there was absolutely no humility, no gratitude, no mention of anybody else doing anything good. It was all about him. If he didn't make the plays, then the team was horrible. And if he made the plays, he was great. And that's how it went every time you were around him. He's just the kind of kid that when something like that happens, we weren't rejoicing that he got busted. We weren't rejoicing that he got sentenced to jail. But we weren't shocked by it either. It just seemed right. It just seemed like that's what you get when you live like that. After that, he bounced around from Canadian Football League to Arena Ball to nobody knows. He's a nobody from nowhere. He's the kid that I'm not kidding you. About once every 20 years, we as coaches and wives who see 24 years of players come through. And you start to get a feel for just like once out of every career or two out of every career, you're watching a kid that you, we all know, we're whispering behind us, we could be watching that kid get inducted into the Hall of Fame. He is that good. And this was one of those kids. And instead, he ends up in obscurity. Nobody from nowhere. And it just seems right. Which makes today's story really ridiculous. Because Samson was living exactly that life. But he does not end up the way this kid ended up. He was doing every kind of thing that this kid was, but his story ends very differently. And I'm actually going to start you there. So you have Judges 16. Hold that spot. Turn toward the end of your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to look at the end of his story so that you start to hear how ridiculous and amazing God's grace is over us all. Hebrews chapter 11. This is the part of Hebrews where the author of Hebrews is just going through one name after another of amazing men, amazing women, women of honor, men of righteousness, the the people that are highlighted above all other people in, in God's people. And he gets to the part in here where he says things like, by faith they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith Rahab hid the spies. And then he gets down to verse 32. And it's almost like the author of Hebrews thinks he's going to run out of room because he just decides to just sum it all up. Read with me in in, um, 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail, fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, of Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. That's Samson. In the list of some of the most amazing people in all of Israel, God squeezes in Samson. Scan down a little further and look at verse 38. Look how God describes that list of men. Do you see it? Of whom the world was not worthy. You scan down to 39, he says this, these, though commended for their faith. He's listing Samson in the middle of that group. Samson, right next to men like Enoch. Enoch was this guy who lived very long ago, shortly after Adam. It said this about Enoch. He was so righteous that he walked with God and was then no more. Like, didn't die. He just was no more. Next to men like Joseph. Okay, here's the deal. Joseph, Joseph wanted to obey God so strongly that even as a slave, he was willing to risk everything and to go to prison so that he would not dishonor God and would not dishonor his slave owner. In the list of those men, the author of Hebrews writes Samson. So what's Samson up to? Flip back over to Judges chapter 16. And all you have to do is take a look at the very first verse. Judges 16, verse 1. You can even see it up on the screen. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. That's what Samson's up to. So 
So let's review, shall we? Samson was called early by God to be the leader over all of Israel, was set apart for God's service. You know he did some amazing things, killed a lion with his bare hands, killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, which really seems like an ineffective weapon to me. What do I know? It does prove the point that Samson has strength and power unbelievably, unbelievably strong. But we also learned that in the last couple of chapters that he likes sex with women he's not even supposed to be near. We also learned that when he gets mad, people die. And this is the judge who's leading Israel. As an FYI, just in case y'all are ever called up by God to be the judge of Israel, you're meant to be the kind of person who leads morally, religiously, militarily. You're the one that the people of God should look at and be able to say, oh, that's what it means to be a follower of God. That's what it means to give God your entire life. So just so you're clear, Going to the city of Israel's enemy so you can have sex with a town prostitute, not on the list of requirements. Shocking. Now let's make it worse. If you were here last week, you know that Dave talked about the fact that Samson had taken a special vow, a Nazarite vow. And all that meant was he was dedicated to God in a very special way so that he had rules over his life that other men did not have. So now we can simply say Samson broke more rules than any other man in Israel. So this is the leader of Israel. This is the man dedicated to God. The guy who is supposed to be everything the people of Israel could follow after. And he's having sex with an enemy prostitute. But maybe it just gets better from here. (laughs) Maybe this is the low point in the rest of chapter 16. It's just going to get so much better. Yeah, well, no. Turn with me to verses 4 through 6. They'll also be up here on your screen. Verses 4 through 6. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Well, you and I have no idea. I haven't. Have you, Erica, been to Sorek lately? Yeah, I know, last week, right? She told me that this is actually not in Israel. If we knew what the author was telling us here, we know that what he's saying is he went back to Israel's enemies, and there he met a woman, Delilah, and he loved her. So keep reading. So the leaders of the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, okay, lords of the Philistines, Samson's a huge deal, right? The leader of the nation of Israel. All the leaders of the Philistines know this, and they want him taken out. So they've heard he's there. They've heard he's with Delilah. So then they come to her and keep reading, and it said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. Then look what they're offering. Remember, it's lords, plural. We will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah says, thank you so much. I'll take that in cash. And says to Samson, please tell me, where does your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one may subdue you? So yeah, instead of having sex with a prostitute, now he's just decided to go live in Philistine with the Philistine people. He's just going to stay there with them and basically live with one of their women. Okay. This is the third Philistine woman that Samson has been with. But she is going to prove to be his last. But even then, just on a relationship level, glance back with me at verse 4. How did Samson feel about Delilah? What? He loved her, right? Tell me where it says in there, what does Delilah feel about Samson? No mention at all, is there? Yeah. He is all in with a woman who is off limits. He's just a fool. He's just a fool. And he's he's not even trying to hide it. The leader of Israel, the one to lead with confidence in God, the one to lead obedience to his word, is so wrapped up In his own sin, he can't even get the basics right. So here he is with this woman, so convinced of his own strength, so convinced of his own power, that he just walks into his own destruction. Delilah has said, tell me where your power comes from. I'm just going to summarize this next little part. The first time she says, please tell me. And he tells her, well, all you have to have is seven fresh bowstrings, like a hunting bow. Just the sinew that would make the string on the honeymoon. You get seven fresh of those. You bind me up. 
my strength is gone. I'll be just as weak as any other man. So she goes to the Philistine lords. They get her the seven fresh bowstrings. She hides the lords in her home. Samson goes to sleep. He sleeps like the dead all the way through this, by the way. She ties him up, and she screams out, Samson, the Philistines are here to get you. And he stands up, snaps him. So she goes to to Samson, and she says, I can't believe you lied to me. Why are you mocking me? Please tell me. And he stays in. Because when you're addicted to your own destruction, that's what you do. He stays in and he says, okay, if you get a fresh rope and you bind me up with it, then I'll be, I'll be totally weak. So she tells them, they get her the rope, she ties him up, asleep. <laughs> she screams out, Samson, the Philistines are here to get you. He stands up, breaks them like thread. Literally, it says he just snaps them like they're thread. No big deal. All right. Of course she whines again. Seriously, whines again. You're mocking me. You're lying to me. I've been so truthful with you, right? But you're lying to me. How could you lie to me? Please tell me. And this time he says this. Okay, apparently Samson's hair was divided into seven, what the Bible calls locks. Seven locks. I don't know if he just had like a giant curling iron and he just decided to separate out. Whether he dreaded them up, whether he tied them off, we don't know. But he said if you take those seven locks of his hair... And you tie them back with, the Bible calls it a web. We're assuming a net and not a spider web because that's nasty. But ties them up with some sort of net and then takes a pin, like a long pin, and like tightens it up real tight, totally weak. So guess what? Falls asleep. She gets a web, pulls his hair back, wraps a pin around it, right? Yells out again, Samson the Philistines are here. And guess what? Stands up, breaks them like a thread. And this time... Gentlemen, please listen to this part. This time, she pulls the if you really loved me card. (laughs) I'm just going to take a time out here to tell you that if the girl you're with continues to say, but if you really loved me, you'd run, 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 run. (laughs) She will not stop this, and it will get old soon, and she's not that cute. Just as an FYI, she's a girl, not a woman. And that's who you really want to be with is a woman. Of course, it's really helpful if you're also a man, which is why growing up is really a fantastic idea. And I don't mean grown up in age, like you hit 18. I mean, they could be 30 and disqualified, as we say in our home, disqualified. Yeah. So Delilah doesn't say this just once. She's like, if you really loved me, you'd tell me the truth. You'd tell me what's in your heart. If you really loved me, day after day after day after day, Samson grows weary and leaves. No, no. The thing is, guys, Samson had done wrong the entire time, and he doesn't think it matters because nothing's changed. He's had sex with women who were the enemies of God, and he's still strong. He has eaten from a dead animal he's not supposed to touch, and he's still strong. He's, when he wed the other woman, it says that he was at a feast in the Hebrew. That that festival, that celebration, always denotes somewhere where there's alcohol that he's not supposed to touch. So it's likely he broke that as well, and he's still strong. No matter what he does, nothing changes. What's the big deal about his hair? He's about to find out because he actually tells her, if you shave off this hair, I will be weak. So read with me. We're actually going to have you read this part in verse 19. Scan down to verse 19. This night, it says, starting in 19, she made him sleep on her knees and she called a man, had him, again, he's just asleep. I can only hope he like took hydroco or something. Like seriously, this is, all right. He shaves off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, oh, no? No. He awakes and says, basically, it doesn't make any difference. I will go out as other times, and I will shake myself free. And then look what it said. If you write in your Bibles, underline this line. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, 
gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza. Remember where he was with the prostitute? He's back in that town, bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. And then the author says, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. He's broken the vow again that he made to God and thought once more that God would do absolutely nothing about it. But he was wrong. Samson did not know that the real source of his power was gone. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. He left, he's left now completely humiliated. He's weak. He's imprisoned, he's bound, he's blind, he's doing a monotonous task day after day. He is no longer the leader of Israel. He is a nobody from nowhere. But the writer, remember, said, but his hair started to grow back. Is he trying to tell us that maybe what's going to happen is he's going to grind in that mill day after day, but you know in a couple of months, maybe three, maybe six, his hair will get long and then he'll break out and he'll defeat everybody? I gave you the end of the story so you would know that's not the way it turns out. Do you remember what the writer of Hebrews said about him? By faith. By faith. This is the part of his life that tells us what God's people live like. This is the part of the Bible, by faith, where God tells us how his people have always been meant to live, trusting in God alone, which so far has not shown up in this story with Samson. But now look at verse 23, and we're actually going to read a long section all the way to the end. Look at what happens to Samson. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hands, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, I have a good idea. Call Samson in. Let's let him entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison and he entertained them. He made, they made him to stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on both sides. Let me, let me put my right hand out, my left hand out, and feel the pillars on either side of me. Now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Pharisees, all the lords of the Philistines were there. On the roof, there's about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. And again, if you write in your Bibles, the very next line is what you'll want. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me just this once, O oh God that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed while he was living. Then his brothers and all of his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. There it is. Finally, we get to the Hebrews 11 part of this story. Finally, we read what the very author said, you read it, who by faith were made strong out of weakness. It took weakness to get there. Who were made strong out of weakness. His hair had grown back, remember? But did he say, got it now. Now I'm strong. Now I'm going to take him out. No. By this point in the story, Samson is at the point of saying, please. Please, God, remember me. Please, give me strength just this once. Please. With God, without God, he was nothing. But with God, he killed more in his death than he did while he was living. Guys, does anyone, one of you want to start off and then end your life being completely made fun of, being completely obscure, being mocked and entertaining your, your enemies? None of us want this. None of us want to end our days being um, saying to themselves, like, I really want to play the part of a fool. I really hope I look stupid today. Like, you don't, you hate this. You know you do. 
It's what we all fear. So how did he get here? It's easy to say he believed his own press. He believed that who he was was what he was within himself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Instead of seeing him as God's servant, empowered by God for God's work in God's way, he saw himself as having everything that he was in himself. He wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. We find out in Judges um, 13 that from the time he was young, it says the Spirit of God was with him. He knew what it was like to have the very power of God in a way that almost no one else in the nation of Israel knew. He had grown up knowing he's set apart by God for God's service with greater strength than any man. But then he has sex with someone he's not supposed to, and he's still strong. He eats out of a lion, dead carcass he's not supposed to touch. Nothing changes. Maybe it's not from God. Maybe everybody's just making too much out of this whole obedience thing. Maybe it doesn't really matter how you live your life. Once you're with God, you're just with God. Maybe it doesn't really matter. After all, he got to do what he wanted, when he wanted, with who he wanted, and nothing changed. The next time we hear about him using his strength, after all, the deadline, is when he sought his own vengeance. Thirty men died so he could have their clothes because he had been made a fool of. And guess what happened to him then? Nothing. People see him no matter what he does, and they still see him as strong. He's still the leader. He still gets all power. He's still the ruler over all of Israel. He has sex with at least two more Philistine women, and nothing happened. And the Bible in Judges tells us that every time he did one of those things, there was one thought going through his mind. It literally says, it is right in my eyes. It is right in my eyes. That's what I want. I can do what I want. I'm Samson. It's what I think is best. And guys, that rebellion is not new to God's people. It started with Eve in the garden when God said, this is what the tree is. This is what it looks like. And Eve said, you know, it's funny. I see it a little differently than you. And Adam, who was given to come in over her and say, no, we will follow God, said, yeah, that sounds fine with me. And one after another in the biblical stories, all we hear is people who knew what God said, but just saw things a little differently. And here we are in the book of Judges. And this is what it says twice in the book of Judges on the screen. In those days, there is no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Samson's downfall doesn't come from an enemy outside of himself. Samson's come from what he saw was his strength. Guys, this is the important part. He saw his downfall came from what is normal for him. Just what he could do. Familiarity is the slippery slope of arrogance. Because when you're in the center of your gifts, when you're doing the very thing that just comes easy for you, when you're at the very place of doing what you do best, you are at the very place where you are most likely to fall. Because it's just so common. It's just how it works. It's just who I am. I've always been able to do this. You can't even imagine you could fall there. What could go wrong? We get so embarrassed about what we can't do. We get so put out by what's weak. Like we really strive. We think about hard, about where we feel weak, about where we feel like we lack. But it's the place that you're so comfortable with that's your greatest point of vulnerability. It's the place that's just so common to you that's the place you're most likely to fall. It happens in such little ways. You remember, if you were, if you were here last week, you remember when Dave confessed to us all that, that he struggles with prayer. He's a pastor. That's the place you would think he would not mess up. It's a point of commonality for pastors to pray it's just what they do I mean you might have found another guy at TBC who's never prayed he never taught thought about prayer he's never heard about prayer he's never studied prayer he's never called on to pray prayer is just really uncomfortable for him it's a real place of weakness for him but for Dave prayer is the place of normal it's exactly those points where you and I are going to stumble and fall 
Like that time, you know, you worked really hard and memorized something without begging for God to help you. It's that time that you served really well and it never even crossed your mind to pray. You just knew exactly what to do. It's that time you spoke without weakness, without fear, because you know how, you know how this goes. I mean, you've done this. You got this. It's that time even when you succeed in sports or dance or drama or whatever it is, and you had such a good day because you did so well and your coach is so proud of you, and we're just all so lucky that you're on our team because this is just who you are. And then it gets worse because then it starts to go right even when you do wrong. That time you cheated on the test and you got the good grade and nobody ever knew. That time you turned in the paper and you know it wasn't your work and everybody commended your paper. That time you lied to your parents, they never found out and you got greater responsibility, more privileges from them. That time when you, you did what was right in your own eyes and it worked is the time you retold Samson's story in your life. Your beliefs, the deepest truth of who you are, is not found out about in your opportunities. And it's not found out in your, in your talents, in your gifts, but in how you use both of those. Every point along your day, you're not making choices of activities. You're making a choice of identity. Who do you belong to? Who do you represent? What story does your life tell? The question is, are you playing the part of Samson, doing what feels right to you, without God, without His Word, without prayer, without the body of Christ, or are you showing the world Christ, the one person who lived on this earth in weakness, in dependence on God alone, to do what was right in God's sight. People get so confused about Christ as if he was like some sort of robot, as if he could never do anything wrong. Like he doesn't even understand what it means to know what God wants you to do and then to want to do differently. But that's not what the Bible says about him. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.15 that he was tempted in every way we are. He was tempted in every way we are. And in fact, I'm telling you, he was tempted in more ways than we were. You know why? Because the stronger you are, the more talented you are, the smarter you are, the more tempting it is to do what you think is best because you got this thing. So imagine if you're God the Son with all power and all wisdom and then you lay that down. He was tempted every day in the same way we are to lay down and he laid down so much more than you and I have ever laid down Samson thought he had the power in himself to do what he wanted but he was wrong he was only powerful because God's spirit was with him to do what God wanted him to do. But guys, Jesus actually started off with the power in himself. He had it. He's the one who laid that aside to do what God wanted. He actually relied on the very thing he gives you to rely on. Jesus never lived out of his own strength. He never lived out of his own knowledge. He never lived out of his own goodness. He lived in complete dependence on God in the same spirit you have in you if you know him. How much power is that? We're talking about the power over demons, over sickness, over the tissues and the bones of the body. We're talking about so much power that liquid feels like solid while staying liquid just because you're standing on it. It's so much power that you can make waves of a storm go completely still in an instant. Or you could take that same water and turn it into the best wine anybody's ever tasted. We're talking about enough power to be able to raise someone from the dead. We're talking about the ability to take fish, which never swam in any ocean, and feed it to you, alongside bread, which came from wheat that never grew in a field. This is the power of God. And then knowledge. He had so much knowledge 
that he knew what people were thinking. In fact, he could take his disciples and tell them, you're going to go into that town, you're going to find that animal right there, and then when somebody comes up to stop you, because they will, this is exactly what you're going to say to them, and they're going to let you go. He could look at someone, the, the Pharisees, and he could know exactly what they're thinking. He could tell them what's in their hearts. Guys, he is God. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, all-good. And he loved God with everything in him. So if there's anyone who ever walked on earth who should have done what he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted, it would be Jesus Christ. If there's anybody who's going to say the right things, it would have been Jesus. If there's anybody whose hands would have done only righteousness, it would have been Jesus. If there's anyone who's going to feel a certain way and have it be exactly right for the situation, that would be Jesus. But that's not what the Bible says Jesus lived like. Look at these verses with me. This is how Jesus himself described his own life. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father has given me a commandment, what to speak and what to say. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Next one, I can do nothing on my own. I, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. One more time he said it. This is why I came down from heaven. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Do you get the point of Christ's life? Romans 15.3 says it like this, Christ did not please himself. So simple. Christ did not please himself. It wasn't about him. It was about God. It's not because he's stupid. It's not because he doesn't know what to do. It's not because he's not strong enough or powerful enough or good enough. He gave up what he wanted because he trusted his father. He believed that his life was the Father's life. So much so that Jesus said in John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to live a life that shows off God. He knows that his Father is the one who is good and right and loving and powerful and wise. He's the only one worth showing off. Samson, Samson wanted to show off himself. Listen to this statement. See if you can get this. What Jesus could do did not control what he did. What Jesus could do in his own opportunities, in his own talents, in his own will, did not control what Jesus did. His life belonged to the Father. He came to do the very thing his people never did. He came to show the world what it meant not to live for yourself, but for God, so that others could know Him, so that the world could watch Him and know what it means to be willing to lay down your life, to lay down what you want, that God might be the one seen in you. Because Jesus knows God's the only one who deserves to be seen. He is the only good. He is the only wise. He is the only loving. He is the only great Father. He alone deserves our praise and our worship. He alone deserves our lives. Jesus knew, guys, the fullness of joy is found when you give up your life for God. When you keep it for yourself, it gains you nothing but ashes and dust in your life. But if you give up your life for Him, you will truly gain. If you give it up to be last, it will get you to first place. If you lose everything, you will gain everything. Jesus knew that to the depth of his being, that you were designed this way. The fullness of joy is found in living for God. We only get that when we die to ourselves and live for others. We're not going to do this perfectly. It's, we always need Jesus to pay that, to do that for us. 
as long as we're here, it's going to be a fight of faith for you to believe not in what you can see, but not in what we can trust here on earth, but to trust God more than we trust ourselves. And it changes everything if you do. The thing is, while all that was going on at Belton High School and UT, there was another football player that was at Temple High School. But he was not known for being a really fantastic football player. He was known for a lot of things, but playing football. He was good, but he wasn't great. He was the kind of kid, though, that was just in all the time, 100%, every rep, every practice, doing what he was supposed to do. Um, During the time when he came in as a freshman, we had a head coach that um, allowed them to play both sides of the ball. So this kid plays fullback and linebacker for those middle linebacker for those of you who know. So he's, I mean, he's getting reps by his sophomore year. They have a pretty good year. They go like seven and four, make the playoffs, and he's on varsity as a sophomore. He's a, he's playing well, but he's not great at it. But he's he's still he's able to take every angle, use every bit of leverage to get the holes open to bring down tacklers. Coaches know they can count on him, so he makes it. Junior year, junior year. Well, okay, two and eight. Uh, not quite seven and four, not a great year, right? His senior year, we end up with another head coach who takes away the, both sides of the ball. You're going to play one side of the ball. And he came up to me, he's like, I'm a senior. If I can have one side of the ball, I want it to be offense. He loved playing fullback. He loved those short runs into the end zone. He loved blocking for the tailback. He loved it. So he said, I want, I want to play offense. And the coach was like, no, no, you're a linebacker. Get out there. So his senior year, He goes out, and I'm not kidding you, this kid busted his tail every game to an 0-10 season. His defense that he's responsible for, his defense gives up more points than you can possibly imagine. We lose every game. This, (laughs) This was the end of his story in high school. In that high school, in four years, he went through three head coaches. He went through things that other players walked off the field for. They would put him through his paces, and other guys are like, man, you can forget it. I'm, I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm out of here. I'm not putting up with this. He got moved around again and again. He watched guys who would skip practice, guys who would loaf around, guys who caused trouble for the team, get positions he wanted. They went through one like fullback after the other trying to figure this thing out. And no matter what he did to motivate his defense, nothing worked. But the guys on the team noticed that he went through things differently than they did. They were all going through that mess, but he did it differently. He didn't let it get it down. He worked harder than anybody else on the field. If they asked for it, he'd do it twice. He sought out the guys who were on the outside, too. He's the guy that would go in the lunchroom and sit down at a table that everybody's like, can we help you? He's like, no, I just thought I'd come over and introduce myself. And they were like, all right. So he shows up the next day, all right. And then finally, kind of messing with him, they were like, how about you come to a party we're having this weekend? He was like, all right. They were like, no, no, seriously? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Then they asked him to hang out after school, and he did, and He asked them to hang out at his house, and guess what? They did. And they asked him, why are you like this? And he said, well, I knew you knew my name, but I wanted you to know more. I wanted you to know the reason my life is different, and I want your life to be different too. All of that happened because he went through suffering in a way that that nobody else around him was doing. And then... Well, he had decided after 9-11 that he was going to join the Navy. His grandfather had been in the Navy, so he applied to the Naval Academy, and he made it. And then he tells us that he's decided to walk on to the team, which we said, okay, but you're too small, you're too slow. The team that you anchored, 0-10, but hey, okay, give it a try. And he made it. His freshman year, he got zero playing time. His sophomore year, he got that end of the game, if we're really ahead, playing time. By the time he's a junior, though, he's starting. By the time he's a senior, he's captain. And his senior year, the Naval Academy won more games that year than they had in a really long time, and they get invited to a BCS Bowl. And we actually got to be there. So we're sitting in these stands, thanks to some friends, and we're watching that little kid 
start at middle linebacker, and they not only won, we got to watch this kid follow that quarterback's eyes on a pass play as they're trying to protect their lead. We got to watch this kid jump into the pass, catch it, and finish his life doing what he had always longed to do, running up the field with the ball. After the game, we stayed and we had lunch with him, I mean dinner with him, and got to see him. And you know what he said to us when we walked up? We were like, great game. You know what he said? Thank you. He looks at us, and he said, thank you. Couldn't have done this without y'all. Thanks for celebrating us. Thanks for being with us the whole time. Looked at Wayne. Thanks for coaching me. Thanks for being all in with me. And we were like, you did an amazing job. And he says, you and I both know that is not about me. I'm just so grateful what God has done in my life and the opportunities he's given me and the gifts he's given me. Guys, every time you pressed him, you heard God. God gave. God allowed. God moved in my life. This is the guy who he is. You do know that if it was Samson and we had come up and said, great game, he would have said, I know, because that's just what I am. This is just who I am. Of course I do. I'm all that. That's the wrong story. That's the wrong character for you to imitate. He took the blessings from God, and he actually thought those were favor from God. Let me say that again so you don't get confused in your life. Samson actually thought the blessings of this life actually meant favor with God. He actually thought because things were going fine that that meant God was fine with him. But he doesn't understand that the very things that he was thinking were so good are the very things the Bible calls snares, traps, weeds that choke out the good fruit of your life. Guys, things like strength and wisdom and power and might and powerful personalities and riches, great leadership skills. These are the very things that the Bible says. Handle these very, very carefully. Hold these very, very lightly because they're more likely to be the cause of your fall than ever to be the cause of you rising. The only thing that saves you in the midst of those is knowing the truth about them all. Is knowing that it came from God to be laid down for God, for His use, not yours, for His glory, not yours, for Him to look really good, not you. Samson believed that God would be faithful to his word even when he was not faithful to God. Jesus knew that faithfulness to God comes out of us precisely because we believe God will be faithful to his word. That kid that I was just mentioning isn't a kid now. He's still in the Navy. He's in command now. And what's funny is I found out from him that his, the, the, all the guys under, hundreds of guys under him, have no idea he was a big football star. They actually found out sort of by accident, and one day he walks into his platoon, and there's all these, literally they had, you know, like the cardboard cutouts. I call them the Justin Bieber cutouts, you know what I'm saying? Like, had the cardboard cutouts and, like, pictures of him mounted up, and they were like, why didn't you tell me? He was like, it's, it's just not that big of a deal to me. It's just, it was fun. I loved it, but it's not life. He's had some bad things happen to him. He's had some really great things happen to him. But it's, it's not about how to have a great life. Like, because all this happened, really great things happened to him. Some good things, but some really hard things too. But through it all, he believes that God will be for him and that his only job is to live a life that shows off to others how really good that God is. Samson made it into the hall of faith not because of anything he did during his days of strength. He's not written into Hebrews 11 because he's so great. His strength was so great. He's actually known because of his weakness. And out of that weakness, God made him strong. You remember his act of faith came like this. Please, please God, remember me. Please God, give me strength just this once. 
in his weakness, he finally got. It's God's strength he needed, not his own. It's God's power he had all along. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about how great your God is. That's what Christ showed us in all of our lives. It's not Christ's understanding that he leaned on. It was God's. It's not his strength. It's God's. It's not his way. It's God's. It's not his will. It's God's. The question for us is exactly the same. Are you living for yourself or for God? Are you living out of your strength? Or are you living in dependence on God? And you're not going to be able to tell me about that because of the opportunities you have. And you can't tell me that because of the blessings in your life. And you can't tell me that because of the talents that you have. The way I'll know it is if I shadow your life. If I did that this week, if I followed along with you, would I see someone who's actually weak and shows it to me by their words, by their actions, by their thoughts? that they can do nothing apart from Him. They're completely dependent on Him to do their entire lives. Or would I be watching somebody who's just got it? Weakness or strength? Pride or humility? Serving yourself or dying so that others might live? This is the question of our life. Because when you live your life, you show the character of the story you're playing. These words, the New Testament tells us, were written down for us so that we would not grow weary and lose heart and we would know the right parts to play. So pray with me before we move into our breakouts that we would become people who out of weakness become strong. Father, we're asking you, Holy God, to do this in us we're not asking for strength. We're asking to have our eyes open to the places we don't even know we're counting on us being strong. The places where we're just normal. The places we didn't even, it never even occurred to us to pray. It never occurred to us to go to your word. We feel like these are the places we have it. We go to you whenever we know we're weak. Things we don't think we can do. Father, convict us our hearts that apart from you, Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. Open our eyes to the places where we are living like Samson, where we've done what we wanted and it just nothing changed. Where we've even sinned and we not only got away with it, we got more, more honor, more acclaim, more positions. Father, open my eyes. Open the eyes of the leadership at TBC. Open up these kids' lives that we might become a people who actually look like Jesus Christ who who lived in dependence on you. Show us your son, Father. You said if we see him in glory, we are changed into his likeness. Show us your son that we might become more like his image here on earth. Move in our lives, Father, for your name's sake we pray, Jesus. Amen. Leaders, I put together some questions for you. You can find them over on the ping pong tables. If you're new, don't know what we're doing, we're breaking out to groups by grade and gender. The the names of the groups are actually along the walls. So follow the crowd through the hallway and you'll find it. If you don't know where to go, either come find me or Dave Tate is back here and he'll get you there.